Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. Praise God. We're talking about the glory of God. And just real quick, if you weren't here with us for the first two uh, lessons, I'm just going to be a quick review. First of all, we talked about the fact that the word Ichabod means the glory is departed or departed glory or it's been withheld. There is no glory. The ark, the word ark stands for the ark of the covenant, which is God's presence among the people. And it was seen among the people in the tabernacle. And everywhere they went in the tabernacle wasn't moved until the glory moved. Now the glory of the Lord is God's manifested presence among the people. So you can have God's omnipresence, which means he's here right now, but his manifested presence is his glory that's seen to manifest itself in various ways to help the people. Whether it's heal, deliver, set free, protect. Israel was distinguished and invincible when it comes to their enemies and distinguished from all nations of the world because they had the Shekinah glory, because they had the living God fighting for them, defending them, protecting them. And as long as they were in right relationship with the Father, His presence was there among them and His manifested presence would be uh, for them in order for them to overcome. Then we went on to say that for an example, to show you what it's like, Samson, when he had the glory upon him, the anointing upon him, and the glory upon him, was able to kill a thousand Philistines you know, with a jawbone of a donkey. But the moment the glory departed, it left, he became an ordinary man and couldn't do anything. Had his eyes plucked out, and he was grinding at the middle of his enemies. So you can see the difference between having the glorious power of God, the glory of God in manifestation, or just an ordinary individual. And then we said that the church without the glory is nothing more than an ordinary assembly of religious people. I want you to listen to that. Think about that. Without the glory and manifestation, it's just a church with religious form denying the power thereof. You know, I grew up in a church I never heard you had to be born again and didn't have the power of God to save anybody. And, and, and it, you know, you think about that. But I don't want to preach that again. I just, I already did. So, okay. So, the way that God's glory can fade from a person or even from an assembly of believers, a church, or a nation, how? Well, they, when they saw the ark as a good luck charm, like a rabbit's foot, you know, they weren't concerned about worshiping. They were concerned about just having it there to defend them and protect them. Well, then when they tried to use it, when God wasn't in it and manifesting himself, they were defeated. So it's not a good luck charm. Uh, spiritual, when it comes to... Uh, a trophy, when they put it in the cave there with all the other um, idols that were there in the cave. Remember when Dagon was next to Dagon and all that? Well, it's not a trophy either. And then to treat it lightly, in other words, lightly esteem this glory of God, this presence and power of the Most High God. If it's lightly esteemed by people, then the glory is going to fade. And it can fade in the person's life individually if we don't give it its proper place. What promotes the glory of God, what I talked about Wednesday night, is this spiritual hunger. David said, I long and thirst for you as in a dry and thirsty land where no water is to see your power and your glory as I've seen you in the sanctuary. He was hungering for it. In a dry and thirsty land, he was, in other words, he was so parched. I want your glory. I want your power to manifest in me and through me. I want to see it in operation as I saw it before. And then, of course, spiritual hunger and also submitting yourself to the Word because when they didn't submit to do things God's way, of course, the, the glory would fade and diminish. 
But if you have a desire to honor the word of God, you'll see an increase of the glory of God. And then submit. Submit to that, but then also have a sensitivity to the sacredness of the things of God. God's things are sacred. They are holy. And when we treat them as being holy, there'll be an increase of the glory manifested within our lives. And then there is the word sanctify, which means to be sanctified or set apart for the use of God. And when we sanctify ourselves for the use of God, there'll be an increase of the glory within a person's life, within a church, within the body of believers. In other words, we can come here and just nonchalantly and just go through the motion of things, or we can come here with the hunger, with the thirst to see God move and manifest his presence, power to save the lost, to heal the sick, to set the captives free for creative miracles and signs and wonders power. Why? So we can, without any other form of advertisement, reach other people that are in our communities round about us because they see a living God, a God who is active among his people. Amen? Amen. Now, as we continue our study, and before we continue our study, I'm going to put up this, this here picture of the um, tabernacle in the wilderness because it will give us a visual, a better insight. This picture, uh, you don't have it. <laughs> I know Chris put it on there, but if, if you can't get it, okay. How many of you looked at, ever saw the picture that's out there in the sanctuary, in, in the narthex area of our church, of the tabernacle with all the tents around it, all the tribes of Israel all around it, and then um, there, there was a fire above it on top of it. Okay, if you didn't see that, you could check it out there. It's out there. That was the tab tabernacle uh, of dwelling. That's where God was manifesting himself among the people. When they were out there in the wilderness, they would go from place to place with this portable tabernacle. And it was symbolic of God tabernacling or living or dwelling among his people in a visible way. Because if you recall in 40 days and 40 nights that Moses went up on the mountain, remember? And he departed from the people and they couldn't see him. What happened? They went into idol worship and all that. And as a result, you know, God was angry with them and everything and brought judgment upon them and all that. Well... God says, my goal is to dwell among you. My goal is to live among you. Live where you at. Where you, I want to be with you, and I want you to be with me. Okay, so they built up this, they put together this tabernacle. They had the Ark of the Covenant that's there, which represents the presence of God and the glory of God was above it. And listen, a cloud by day and a fire by night. In the desert, as they're out there, they got air conditioning by day and heat by night. It gets hot in the, in the daytime. It gets really cold in the evening, in the nighttime. But they had their own heating and air conditioning system provided for them by God. And what does that mean? They saw God. They saw the visible manifestation of the glory of God among them every single day. And they did not move that tabernacle until what? The glory moved. When the glory moved, they moved. When the glory cloud moved, that's when they moved. So they fall. There it is right there. So you can see the fire that's coming down from heaven above. And that would burn up the sacrifice. And you can see all that's there. All the tribes of Israel were gathered around the entirety of that tabernacle. Inside they did service for God, but God was there in the holiest place of all. So the divine presence was there. The glory of God was there. The high priest could only enter in with precaution because you don't enter in the presence of God any improper way, nonchalant way. And so he had rules, he had regulations and guidelines that they had to follow. If they didn't follow, it could mean they're being cut off or it could mean their death. Okay, so that's what we see. That's the visual that we see. Now, that tabernacle... It was only temporary until a, a temple was built for him by Solomon. So let's look in the book of Second uh, Chronicles in chapter 5. Because this is what we want to get to. We want to get to a place that even in our church 
and not just this church. I believe every church, every Christian church in America should have the manifested presence and glory of the living God among them that brings conviction to the hearts of people, that saves the lost, heals the sick, and sets captive, captive people free because we serve a living God, a God who cares about us and wants to bless us and help us. Okay, it came to pass as the trumpeters. Now, this is the temple that Solomon built. How many of you know how much it cost? Chuck did the notes. 200, anywhere from 140, to, depends on what, what size you look at, to $216 billion. Did you hear that? $216 billion. And when they brought the Ark of the Covenant that housed God, oh, trust me, they had to do it carefully. They had to do it the way God said by design. Otherwise, you would die if you touched it. Remember we talked about those that died when they touched it? How Uzzah died when he touched it? Because it moved. They didn't do it the right way. They brought this Ark of the Covenant, which is the presence of God, into the, te uh, the temple area where it was supposed to be. And here's what happened. It came to pass as the trumpeters and singers were as one to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. When they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endures forever, that then the house was filled with the cloud, even the house of the Lord. So the priest could not stand to minister for by reason of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of God. This was God's hand of approval upon what was being done. They were shifting now from the tabernacle into the temple itself and they brought in the ark of the covenant and the glory of God was there and this is his glory in manifestation and so as they praised him during this particular time God manifested himself but now look at first second chronicles chapter 7 beginning at verse 1 after they brought it in then prayer is offered okay this is the prayer that was offered when Solomon had made an end of praying so he prays over this place and there's a long, lengthy prayer before this. But he's praying over the place where the divine presence of God is. Here's what happens. When Solomon made an end of praying, the fire came down from heaven. Oh, glory to God for the days when the fire of God comes down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the house. And the priest could not enter into the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the house of God. So now, the glory of the Lord is manifested among the people. And when the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord upon the house, they bowed themselves with their faces to the ground upon the pavement and worshiped and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endures forever. So, can you imagine... Anyone having to be prodded or prompted to praise the Lord after seeing the presence of the glory of Almighty God. I'll tell you what, I had this happen when I was at school. It was absolutely amazing. I've seen the glory of God in different times myself personally. But this is when I was at school at Ramah. And the glory fell in a profound and glorious way during the class. And there was such a manifestation of the presence and power and the glory of God that people began to walk up toward the front where the glory was in manifestation. And no one touched them. They got within 10 feet of the, of the people that were standing in the front. And when they did, they fell down under the power, just like that. Another one did, boom, fell. 
As a matter of fact, a teacher came in from the back saying, I got to put a stop to this. I got to, what's going on here? This is a little bit getting out of control here. He comes running in and the power of God hits him and knocks him down on the ground. He can't stand up and he can't walk. Beloved, the glory of God is real. The power of God is real. Amen. I know people get criticized, criticize us because if we lay hands on somebody, they fall on the ground. They think you're some kind of a cult. But you know what? That should be the norm. The norm should be when we gather together like they did in unity, harmony, and love with one another. They were purified. They were unified. They were sanctified or set apart. And when they came in and they praised the Lord, there was a presence of God that was so profoundly manifested, they couldn't even stand up. Think about that. All right. Notice the three things. There was sacrifice. The sacrifice was on the altar. That means you surrender something for something else. There was fire. What was the fire? The fire was not a natural fire, but a supernatural fire from the very presence of God who is a consuming fire that fell from heaven. It's like the fire that came down upon the uh, sacrifice that Elijah offered. Remember when he had a confrontation with the prophets of Baal up on the mountain? Remember that? And the fire came down to consume the sacrifice. He's a consuming fire. A holy flame. A holy fire. Originating with God and not with man whatsoever. It's not something that you can, you know, flick a bick and you got a, uh, the fire of God. Wouldn't that be great? But you can't. This, this is not that kind of fire. But when there is a sacrifice made and then, then he is satisfied and there is a fire that falls... And that fire has a work to do. But then what happens after it's consumed? The glory appears. The glory is in manifestation. Sacrifice, fire, and glory, you could say, is the process uh, by which the manifest presence of God is revealed among the people. So this glory is a tangible manifestation of the presence of Almighty God among the people, assuring them that God is among you. And what a wonderful thought when you think about that. Well, guess what? We've got a better covenant with better promises. And the glory of the new is greater than the glory of the old. And so our desire is to have a greater manifestation of the glory of God among us today. Why? Because it's already been provided for by a better sacrifice. The blood of Jesus Christ our Lord. Okay, how does that translate into us today? Well, look at the glory in the new temple. We're the new temple. Remember Jesus said, if you destroy this temple, destroy this temple I'll rebuild it in three days. Keep that thought in your mind. Notice in the book of Acts, chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven. Where did it come from? As of a rushing mighty wind and filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them, that is each of them, cloven tongues like as of what? Where did that fire come from? Heaven. And it sat upon how many of them? Each and every one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Forget about the tongues part right now. Forget about that completely. This Shekinah glory that was housed in the Ark of the Covenant in the temple that Solomon had built. And remember the one was destroyed then they built another one. Okay, and remember that? Destroyed in AD 70 also. 
But just remember this, when Jesus died upon Calvary's cross, who was the last sacrificial lamb to be offered for the sin of the world that would satisfy the claims of justice held against mankind, the veil of the temple where the, the ark was, where the glory was housed in the ark of the covenant, was ripped in to two from top to bottom, and there was a release of the Shekinah glory of Almighty God, and it went back up to the heavenly holy of holies. And Jesus said, when I leave, your house will be left to you, what? Desolate, empty, no presence of God anymore. Can you imagine that for all these years? There's been no glory, no matter what they did, and all the, the uh, celebrations and all the, uh, the feasts and the feast days and the holy days. There's no glory, that's Ichabod, in the Ark of the Covenant any longer. He went up to heaven but when Jesus came down from heaven, we are told he tabernacled among men. He was made flesh and dwelt among us. The word dwelt is tabernacled among us. And we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus came with the glory in him. And so praise God, the glory of God was housed in the person of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And the glory then when he died, left that tabernacle and went back to heaven. And he went back to heaven also. But on the day of Pentecost, something took place. Amen. Oh, he rebuilt the temple, but not with men's hands. He rebuilt the temple. You are the temple of the most high God. You individually and collectively as a church body, we become the very place, the dwelling place. He said, I will dwell in them and I will walk in them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. The language is very clear on this. The whole point was that God wanted to dwell among men. Why? So he can get in them and recreate them and make them his own children. That's what he wanted to do. That's what the glory does. We've got this glory in an earthen vessel, in a jar of clay. But you see, I want you, I want you to see that visual because if we can even imagine this, when you got saved, it was the glory of God that came down and just, just took your sin-sick soul and gave it life. It became the temple of the Most High God. And then, after it was all cleansed by the fire of God from all that sin, guess what? When you said yes to the Holy Ghost, the Shekinah glory came in, the fire of God came upon you, went inside you, filled you with Holy Ghost power, filled you with the glory of God. I, I recently heard, so I, I really love this individual. I love the way he preaches. He's a powerful preacher. But I heard him answer a question just the other day. And, and someone asked him, when you receive salvation, do you receive all the Holy Spirit that there is? And he said, yes. And I thought, how can you be so right on, spot on in other areas? But when it comes to this, how can you be so off? The church didn't start at Pentecost. The church started in John 20 when he breathed on them and they were filled. They were born again, washed in the blood of the Lamb. On the day of Pentecost, he didn't say, go there and wait until you receive me as your Savior. He said, go there and wait until you are endued with power from on high. Holy Ghost power in Acts 19 when the Apostle Paul said, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? So in other words, there is a greater measure, a greater degree of the glorious power of Almighty God. Once you get saved, it's a, it's a well of water. But once you get filled with the Holy Ghost, it's rivers of living water that, praise God, that gets into your life, into your being. and changes you from the inside out. And people are afraid of that because of tongues. I might speak in a new tongue, and I, that would be weird. You buy the shoes, the tongue comes with it. Period. 
Right? You wouldn't cut it off, would you? All right, what did they sacrifice? Acts 1, 14. You put yourself in these shoes. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. And the, with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren, or his brothers. Imagine these 120 people, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers, were all in this one place in one accord, waiting in obedience to the command of the Lord, wait there until you endure power from on high. That's what were they sacrificing? They gave up their position in the community. They gave up their position in the synagogue. They gave up their position, praise God, even among the Jewish faith, Judaism. Because if you called upon that name during that particular time, Saul would hunt you down and take your life. He was doing it. He killed the first Christian martyr, Stephen. We know that. But they sacrificed it all for what? More of God. They sacrificed religion for reality. And they said, here we are. We may be only 120 strong, but we're going to obey what Jesus said to do. And what motivated that? We saw him alive from the dead. And there's no one that's ever been alive from the dead. We saw him die, and we saw him rise again, and we saw him walk on this earth. We saw him eat fish with us, and he drank with us, and did everything. He talked to us and all that. And so, therefore, we know he's alive, so do what you want with me. I believe. And they got filled with Holy Ghost power on the day of Pentecost. Look at Romans chapter 12. Hope this puts us in a better setting when it comes to understanding this particular truth. You know what? I know for some people that you say this might be deep. You know why it's deep? Because you're not being taught in church anything. It's really not deep at all. If, if you really listen to what's being taught. And if, if preachers were preaching and teaching the word of God rather than politics. And, and rather than current events. You'd be getting some of this. Our young people, if they're being taught rather than you know, games and all that. But the Word of God, when they get your age, they would know a lot. I beseech you, therefore. You know what that word beseech means? I'm begging you. I beg you, therefore, by the mercies of God. By the mercies of God. Keep that in mind. That you present your bodies a living what? There's no more animal sacrifices. There's human bodies to sacrifice. A living sacrifice means every single day a dedication, consecration of ourselves to live in this body to glorify God. A holy sacrifice, holy acceptable to God, which is your reasonable or spiritual duty and obligation. And don't be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. So what's Paul saying? Every one of us has something to sacrifice. Every single one of us has something to sacrifice. We all have something to sacrifice. But before I say what it is, listen to the motivation. I'm begging you by the mercies of God. You know other religions, they are motivated to serve their gods out of fear and threat. That if you don't, we'll cut off your arms. We'll cut off your legs. If you don't, we'll put you in prison. If you don't, see, they put fear, they instill fear into people. You better bow and bend or you're going to burn in a furnace. But guess what? He says, I'm begging you by the mercies of God. You know what that means? The God we serve draws us because he's good. It's the goodness that leads us to repentance. It's the love of God that draws us to him. It is the mercy that God has shown us, praise God, that brings us to the throne that says, Abba, Father, thank you for loving me so much. How can I not love you? 
How can I not serve you when you send your son to die for me? He doesn't require your death. He required the death of his son to give you and me life. Amen. And so by the mercies of God, that you do what? Present your sacrifice. What's your sacrifice? Everybody say, my body is my sacrifice. Notice, your body is to be sacrificed. What does he mean by that? Well, you just figure sports. The Bible is just so much filled with uh, examples of people that are involved in sports and athletic competitions. You present your body like an Olympian would present their body to do what? To sacrifice. You know how many sacrifices people make to be in the Olympics? Parents sacrifice their young children's lives and turn them over to others to train them and teach them. Those young people sacrifice their childhood so that they could learn and grow and develop and, and their skills and all that. And so they're set aside somewhere where they're isolated even from their family so they can develop their, their skills and abilities in such a way so as to be an Olympian. And what are they doing it for? They're doing it for Olympic gold. And they, but they make a lot of sacrifices. But you as a believer and I as a believer, you know we sacrifice? Everything. Our bodies in other words, we're living in this earth. This body keeps us here. This body wants to do its own thing, but we got to do what Paul said, smack it around a little bit, beat it up a little bit, get it to line up with the things of God. I'm giving you my body. I'm giving you my life. I'm giving you my flesh. I'm going to control my tongue. I'm going to speak words of God. I'm not going to vain speak, evil speak, foolish speak. I'm not going to use my tongue for gossip and other things. I'm going to dedicate and set apart and consecrate my tongue to serve you. I'm going to live my life in such a way so as to do what you have commanded that I do, that you have asked me to do, required of me to do, and that's my religion duty and responsibility spiritually before God. Why? Because I want a greater dimension of the glory of God manifestation in my life. And so I'm not going to walk as others walk. I'm not going to walk as the Gentiles walk. I'm not going to walk in a way that displeases my God. Number two, he said, renew your mind. Oh, the mind, the mind, oh, our mind. Think about it. Those are, there are those that are out there that believe really your, your God is your mind. It's in your, all in your mind. You make your mind. I hate to think if my mind was God, Gee, can you imagine if your mind was God? Boy, it would be horrible, wouldn't it? No, I am to sacrifice my body and now my mind to renew my mind to the Word of God so I can have the mind of God, the mind of Christ, so that I can walk in the will of God and be, let's say, governed by the will of God for my life. So in other words, it's not that the preachers need to read the Bible. When I started reading this Bible, I just got saved. I wasn't a preacher, but you couldn't keep me out of it. I dug into it and kept digging into it and studying it and studying it and studying it and studying it because I wanted the mind of God and wanted the will of God. So we need to sacrifice. Stop thinking the way you're thinking and start thinking the way God's thinking. Uh, hallelujah. Do you see there's a transfer there? I'm stopping the way I'm... My thoughts are not your thoughts, he said. My ways are not your ways, he said. My thoughts and ways are much higher than yours, so stop thinking the way you want to think and start thinking the way I want you to think and you'll see a difference in your life. You'll have greater glory in your life and so will I if I think the way God wants me to think. Okay, so what happens if I make my sacrifice and say, every morning, I set myself apart for your honor and glory. I commit myself to you every single day of my life, Lord. I dedicate this body to your service. I want my mind to be renewed to your will. And here I stand in your presence and I'm saying to you, I want the spirit of obedience to rest upon me today and every day of my life so that I walk where you want me to walk. I use my hands to do what you want me to do. My speech to speak as you want me to speak, to be a light in the world of darkness, to be salt in the earth, to influence others, to help others that come to know you. 
I sacrifice myself today to serve you and honor you. It's a living sacrifice because we're still living in it every single day. But I set myself apart for you and for you alone. What happens? If I'm sincere, what happens? Fire falls. Fire falls from heaven. You could be in your bedroom. You could be in your car going down the highway. You're off, off to work. But you say, I dedicate myself to you, Father, today. I set myself apart this day to live the, the life you want me to live, to think the way you want me to think. And the fire falls from heaven. You know what fire does? I have a list there for you. It refines, it energizes, and it spreads. It is a supernatural fire. Here we are trying to say, okay, Lord, uh, you know, help me do this, help me do that. I guarantee you, if you start off by saying this, Lord, I want to walk in a way that's pleasing to you. I want to serve you with this body of mine. I want to take my place and do my part in the body of Christ and carry out the purpose of your will for my life. Let the fire fall. Let it purge my sin-sick soul. Praise God. Whatever is my thinking that is off. We all have to have our minds renewed. But James said, this is superfluity of not is the way we think. We need to have the engrafted word that is able to save us from our soulless way of thinking, our improper way of thinking, deceptive way of thinking. That's what James was talking about. And so this is not a Sunday religion. It is not a Wednesday night religion. This is an everyday. I long to see a greater measure of your glory and manifestation in my life that purges my life from all things that displease the living God that I serve until you're, I'm aglow with your spirit. Can you imagine? You ever see sometimes now the big thing is I can't use a cell phone because it'll mess up our sound system and all that. It'll go crazy. You know how they have your light on your cell phone? You're never in the dark anymore, are you? Because your cell phone, some of them have an app where you can have a, light, a bright light that shines. Everybody puts a light on. Can you imagine the night? You can't see where you're going, but never fear. You got your phone. You put on the light. Another one puts on the light. Another one puts on the light. Before you know it, everybody in the place puts on a light and it's brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter. Right? Can you imagine if everybody comes to church aglow with the Spirit? I guarantee you probably many of you coming to church today had a little confrontation on the way here. Because I know the devil and I know how he works. He wants to stir up trouble with you. He wants to get you to be involved in strife and conflict and all that. Uh, honey, don't I look nice today? Uh, yeah, you didn't even look at me. What am I wearing? Big mistake, fella. Big mistake. Never should have done that. You should have examined her. And no matter what you saw, you should have said, you're the most beautiful thing. And you don't look good in that dress. You make that dress look good. It wouldn't cut it on anybody else. But honey, on you, you make that dress look good. Now she's a glow. Now she's a glow, see? And you're going to be a glow too. Why? Because you're not getting this. Fire falls. It purifies, purges, makes holy. It excites to activity. It transforms. It influences others. Did you ever hear someone use the expression, you're on fire, man? You're just on fire. Have you ever said that? I got a text from Andrew just not too long ago. He says, Dad, I got an A-plus on my test. And I got a couple other ones too. He says, I'm on fire. I'm on, did you send that to me? I'm on fire. He showed me his, you know, you can go online right now and see what your grades are. He's every, every class that he has, every subject he has, he has A plus in every one of them. He's, I'm on fire. 
Well, I'm telling you what, if you could be on fire in the natural, you can be on fire in the spiritual. And the fire that we're talking about is a fire that comes from heaven, a glow that spreads and influences others. That's why you come to church. You want to come to church to just to watch somebody burn, praise God, and then take the fire with you where you go. Amen. I'd like to come to church this morning and just say, well, I really don't know what I should preach on today, you know, because life's tough. You see what's going on out there in the world. You know, really, we're having a hard time. We're having a difficult time. You know, never once I've ever said that about this congregation of people. I say, we're always on fire. We're serving God. We're loving God. We're believing God. No matter where we're at or location that we're at, praise God, we believe the hand of God's upon this place, and He will manifest Himself in glorious and powerful ways. Okay, so now we have the sacrifice that we make. To be here today, you made a sacrifice, right? And that's why you're here. Not out of obligation, but you're here because you want more of God. You want to see more of God, experience more of God. You want to receive more of God in your life. That's why you're here. You want to be challenged that when you leave these doors, praise God, you're going to be a fire burning where people will come and watch you burn. Amen. Now let your light shine among men, the salt of the earth, enticing other people, preserving the world, and also making them thirsty for the things of God. Okay, then finally, finally, we have what happens. The glory falls. They were all filled. They were all filled. Now go back, what we talked about from before. When they brought the ark into the tabernacle, the glory fell, the fire fell, and the glory appeared. When they took the ark and they put it into the temple of Solomon, what happened? The, the sacrifice was made, the fire fell, and the glory appeared among the people. And then when Jesus came, praise God, we know what he did. The sacrifice was made. Who's the sacrifice? Jesus, right? Thank God he shed his blood for our sin. Now, that per the sacrifice that they made was perfect back in, in Old Testament times. Who's more perfect than Jesus? He was the perfect sacrifice that was made, right? And the fire of God's judgment fell. Are you ready for this? It purges. When the fire of God's judgment fell upon the person of Jesus Christ, it purged everyone's sin-sick soul. Oh, thanks be to God. Aren't you glad that he did that for you? What's left? To receive his glory. To receive the glory. And you receive the glory of the new birth. Look in Matthew's gospel, chapter 17. You and I receive the glory of the new birth. After six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them. And his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment as white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias, or Elijah, talking with them. Notice, you got three figures here, three personalities here. Number one, Moses. Number two, Elijah. Number three, Jesus. Moses stands for the glory of the law, the old covenant law. Elijah stands for the glory of the prophetic or the prophet's ministry. But Jesus stands for the brightness of the glory of God himself manifested on earth among men housed in human flesh. He was the brightness of his glory, Hebrews said, the express image of his person. When he purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So when Jesus walked upon the earth, he contained the full measure of the glory of Almighty God in his flesh body on this earth. And everywhere he went, 
I'm telling you, you can see it manifested. He can walk on water. He can raise the dead. He can calm a stormy sea. He can tell a tree to die. He can get into a boat and the boat is to its destination without ever paddling. Praise God. He, he could bring fish with money in his mouth to pay taxes. He could turn water into wine and the list goes on and on and on. He was the manifestation of the glory of God in human form upon the earth. But he knew that he was only one housing it. When he went back to heaven, he says, I'm going there. When I go there, I'm telling you, you're going to know how I, that I made it. Because I'm going to send the same power, the same glory that you see operating in me. It's going to come on you. And you too will be filled with Holy Ghost power. And you're going to be my witness. So look at these verses here. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. This is the glory that empowers but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. This is power. This is the glory of God that empowers us to do the works of Jesus. Number two, Acts, uh, um, 2 Corinthians. Look at this. In chapter 3, verse 18, But we all with open face beholding as in the glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Notice, thank God for the glory that performs miracle signs and wonders. But you know what? The greatest sign and wonder, what a miracle it would be to get us to change. Is it not a miracle to get a human being to change? He wants us to change while we're living in this body from glory to glory. And it's only the glorious manifestation of the power and glory of God that will enable us to change. And then number three, uh, Isaiah chapter 10, verse 27. It shall come to pass in that day that the, his burden shall be taken away from his shoulder and his yoke from off thy neck and the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. There is more than one infilling of the Holy Ghost. On the day of Pentecost, they got filled with the Holy Ghost and power. In Acts chapter 4, we see another infilling of the Holy Ghost that they went from that place and even the shadow of Peter caused many to be healed that were out there in the streets. It is the power of God, praise God, that equips us and enables us to work the works of Jesus and destroy yokes of bondage that's in people's lives. And next, number, you've got to love this one. you got your shouting clothes on. In John 7, 37-39, this is Jesus speaking in that last day, the great day of the feast. Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. Are you thirsty this morning? Are you hungry this morning? Are you satisfied with where you're at in God? None of us should be. If you're hungry, if you're thirsty, he that believes on me, as the scripture said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake of the Spirit, which they should believe on him, should receive. Notice, they which believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Once Jesus was glorified, the Holy Ghost was given. The Holy Ghost was sent. Your temple became the temple of the Most High God. And the Shekinah glory of God that came down from heaven, that filled the tabernacle, is now living in you and living in me. And what's it there for? To stay there? Does it say to stay there? No. It is a river of life flowing out of you and me to make the lame to walk and the blind to see. we got to get back to that fullness of the understanding of what Pentecostal ministry is really all about. Church is not about just going to church, sit down, open up your hymnal, read a song, pray a, do a song, have a little prayer here that's designed and a little ritual that we're going to go through and all that. And then we say, it was wonderful to be here and everybody gets up and goes home. That's not church. Church says, come on, Holy Ghost, fill our hearts, 
fill this place. Let the glory fall. Let the fire fall. Burn up the chaff on our lives. Make us like Jesus. And let your glory fill this place. Hallelujah. And then Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17 and 18. Notice. Wherefore, be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. People want to know what the will of God is. Well, it's to get drunk. But be not drunk with wine, where is an excess, but be filled with the Spirit. It's the glory that raised up Jesus from the dead. And in the Greek, it's be being filled with the Spirit. Do you ever get the idea by all this that God wants to dwell among us? That God wants to dwell in us? You read Revelation chapter 21, verse 3. Can you pull that up, chapter 21, verse 3? Realize in the end times, what we have to understand is this, that God wants to dwell among men. He, you, feast of, you know, Sister Rose said this morning, the last one is, is the Feast of Tabernacles. Taber, notice Tabernacle. That is when God tabernacles on earth among men eternally. And I heard a, a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. Hallelujah. You think it would be different if you found out that you were carrying God everywhere you went, everywhere I went, and that his glory is only inside of you and inside of me everywhere we go, and that glory that's in us can, can increase by degree and measure to do what? Be a river of life pouring out from us to get the lost saved. The sick. Can you imagine that? This is better than, this is better than playing a football game. It's better than running a touchdown or making a hoop in basketball. It is. It's better than winning a prize fight. Well, listen, and I'm going to close with this. If it costs $216 billion to make it just the way that God would be happy. Can you imagine that kind of money back then? I mean, today's a little bit different. Money's worth something more. But back then, two. $216 billion, with a B, not an M, dollars to build this Solomon's temple. Imagine, and they said, even that even said, but that doesn't include the wood, the animals. It didn't include a lot. But $216 billion. Guess what it costs Jesus to rebuild it? Not silver. Not gold. You've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, and it's the blood that paves the way to glory. It paves the way to the throne. So in other words, your value, your worth is incomprehensible. Can you say amen? Thank God. So in conclusion, praise God, every single one of us has something to sacrifice. And what is it? Ourselves, our bodies, our souls to be renewed, our minds to be renewed. So, in my opinion, let's make the sacrifice, praise God, to have the greater glory. So the fire can fall and the glory can manifest. Hi, Pastor Bill here. I want to thank you for joining us today. On behalf of my wife, Krista, and Krista Selby Church, I want you to know that we're here to serve you and your family. Whether you have young children or kids in elementary school, if you're a teenager or a young adult, we have a passion to provide a safe and comfortable environment where you can grow in God and build a solid foundation of His love for you. And with that foundation, we encourage you to take the gospel of Jesus Christ with you wherever you go. It is our heart at Christian Assembly to be an outreach, to be the hand of God, 
toward Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. We want to join as the body of Christ to make one last trumpet call before the final trumpet sound, and through a life of worship, bring in a harvest of people. With whatever gifts God has given you, we want you to be free to share those gifts and talents. Life is most fulfilled when we share God's love with others. And in all that we do, we want to demonstrate the power of the name of Jesus to the world through a ministry of excellence, to God first, and then also to you. So whatever the situation, wherever you are, whatever you're going through, I want you to know that we love you, and God loves you, and has a wonderful plan for your life. And that plan begins by making Jesus the Lord and the Savior of your life. And if you've never made that decision yet, I'd like to invite you to pray a simple prayer with me. And if you will, Jesus will become your Savior and your Lord. Just repeat after me this prayer. Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart and I'll accept you and receive you as my personal Savior and Lord. Heavenly Father, I have called on the name of Jesus. I'm now your child in Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer with me, I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.